Today, I get to talk to Dhruv Nanda, CD at Oberland in New York City. What an interesting guy. What a nice guy. I had heard about him. He's got a cool name, and he is a cool guy behind it all. Born in, born in Dubai, raised in Africa, moved to Toronto, now in New York City. International, international superstar, Dhruv Nanda. He's at Oberland where they're doing, uh, they're doing such great work for nonprofits, but also for profit companies that have more of corporate responsibility stuff. And, you know, Bill Oberlander, I, I worked for him and, and I know him really well and he's been on the show. So it's interesting to, to talk to somebody who's of the younger generation as well, where uh, it's not about I carried my portfolio around in the heat of New York City. This is, this is somebody who has always lived in the digital age and, and we're trying to get more more people like that on the show. Uh, so this is an interesting talk with Dhruv, and I really love meeting him and, and would love to see him again. Hey, Dhruv, let's hang out. But uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Dhruv Nanda. Dhruv Nanda. That's me. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Uh, you are at uh, Oberland. And That's I, true. I worked with Bill Oberlander, so I feel like we're, we're brothers. He was just telling me that story yesterday. Red Badge of Courage. Uh, That's right. uh, yeah. St the story about his uh, his podcast? No, he was telling me how he was introduced to you, that he looked over your portfolio and might have passed on it. He did pass on it, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a sticker on it still to this day. It says, seen by below. And oh, wow. there's, a, there's a big I with an X. And, and why do you keep that? Uh, just it just happens to be on the portfolio that I had when I went there, uh, and that's the portfolio that I kept around. Um, I don't know. I kept the sticker. <laughs> I think I think it's a badge of courage. You know? I think so. It's, it's uh, it shows that it, no matter what the the fear of failure, like yeah, you're going to fail. There's going to be people who, you know, and we're good friends now, and and I think he respects me, and I respect him, and. Uh, and he hired me eventually, like uh, Kirschbaum hired me eventually. But uh, yeah, your current partner, right, Mark Damasimo hired me. Mark Damasimo hired me. Yeah, yeah. he he. Uh, I got in through uh, direct direct response. Right. Um, but this isn't about me. This is about you. That's true. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Dubai. Yeah. And uh, uh, my parents had actually gotten arranged married in India and then moved to Dubai wow. to pursue better opportunities. What 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 did they do? Uh, so my dad worked for Unilever as an accountant, and my mom was at first a pre-K teacher, and then she got into aerobics. Oh, wow. In Dubai? In Dubai, yeah. What was it like growing up in Dubai? I knew nothing about that. Yeah, it's uh, it was a weird time because they just discovered oil around like the late 70s. Oh, wow. So we, they moved there in like 83, and I was- It was booming, I'm sure. Just started booming um, at that point, and uh, they were paying- expats with university degrees to come over and work uh, because now all these companies were popping up and moving yeah. their Arab operations there. Or, you know, like Dubai was trying to be the London of the Middle East, which I think they're there right. now. Uh, and you are, you are a Dubai citizen. I'm not. You were born there or you were, oh, okay, you're not. So that's the interesting thing about Dubai is that you don't ever get citizenship unless you're like blood, like an oh, Emirati wow. by blood. Wow. Yes. You have to be Emirati by blood. Yes, uh, and so you, you're when you're when you're born in Dubai, you're just not a citizen of anywhere. Is that you, you're a citizen of wherever you came, from, wherever, wherever your, your parents came from? Yes, yes. That's crazy. Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and when did you leave there? Uh, so we left Dubai when I was ten to go to Zambia and Africa, and I lived in Zambia for three years. Um, You're the coolest guy I've ever met, first of all. <laughs> uh, you lived in Zambia? Yes. What was that like? Uh, we lived in a tiny town called Endola, where the first N is si oh, it's like kind of silent. Yeah. It's like the Vietnamese. Endola. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it might even be said with a click. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, but he, uh, but I didn't say it with a click, did I? Because <laughs> that would be... I don't I mean, want I I heard I don't it. to get mail. <laughs> That's right. Endola. You can't joke about anything. No. Um, okay. Yeah, so... Andola, what was that like? We, well, I was at a, I was at a, uh, like a you private know, school, private school, British school. It was a former British colony. Uh -huh. A lot of South Africans, a lot of Indians there actually. Uh -huh. A lot of, and then some local Zambians as well. that were more like you know in the uh, upper working class of the country, which was very tiny because it was 
a country that was booming in the 70s and 80s due to copper, and then their currency was worth like like one pound was like 5,800 kwacha, oh my God. which is their currency. So yeah. you, like buy, buying a Coke was like 600 kwacha. Wow. So, but I, I mean, it was, it was very small. There was, not, there was nothing there except your home yeah. and your dog and your family and your school friends. Right. And like one country And you all club. lived in like the same area? Same, same general area. Of development of, yeah. of some kind. Uh, that's crazy. What, yeah. a, what a crazy, weird life to, to live. I know it, it doesn't feel weird to you. It doesn't you feel it. weird to me. <laughs> uh, but that's totally crazy. And when, when did you first uh, start thinking about this thing called advertising or, or was that in your head when you were a kid or what did you want to be when you were when you were a kid? I was pretty directionless as a kid. Um, I think I, I just enjoyed arts in general, like more the written arts, I would say creative writing and I was a big fan of Roald Dahl growing up and Goosebumps mm. and all, you know, novels and all of that. But uh, in, in school, I was pretty lost. I was generally understimulated mm. and would often just, you know, mess around. Yeah. I don't, I think that's pretty common with yeah, anyone who's in advertising. I'm thinking these of my days. kids and yeah. they do that now. Right. Uh, and then I, I, my parents said, you argue with us a lot. So why don't you go into law? Uh, and I said, sure, I have no clue what I want to do. So I'll, I'll do this. Right. Uh, so I did my actual, in Canada, you can do an undergraduate in law. Were you in Canada now? You, you've moved from Zambia. Yeah, so yeah, we missed that part of the story. So yeah. my mom was tired of all this Africa stuff. She's yeah. like, I can't do my hair. I can't go to the movies. <laughs> I can't do any of these you know, luxurious, quote unquote, luxurious things that we take for granted in yeah. Western society. We'd have to fly to South Africa to go see a movie. Right. Because there was no movie theaters there. Even going grocery shopping, the groceries would come once a month. Right. And you just load up and you have groceries for the and month. And Zambia is right near South Africa, right? It's, it's about a two-hour flight. Two-hour flight. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So then my mom got tired of the Africa stuff. Yeah. Uh, and she said, why don't we apply for Canadian immigration? We got it. And then we started life anew in Canada when I was 13. I also have a younger sister. She was uh, seven years younger than me. So we were six yeah. at the time when we moved there. Wow. So, and then we just, then we got, grew up in Canada. I went to university in Canada. Toronto? Uh, we, were in a, we were in a suburb in Toronto. Uh -huh. And then I went to university in Ottawa. Okay. At Carleton U. Oh, Carleton U is in, in Ottawa. Okay, yeah. We yeah. were we were I was I meant to look it up and uh I hadn't heard of Carleton U, but it's in it's in Ottawa and you studied law. Yes. Did you have to wear a wig? Because don't they Definitely. wear wigs up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all wear wigs. Did you get to wear the wig? <laughs> um, uh so so you you went for law thinking like, okay, dad wants me to do this or or my parents want me to do this. Uh and how did that work out? Were were you into it? I was first? Barely, almost not flunking out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I, I've, I couldn't find, I couldn't bring myself to read these long cases and memorize them. Yeah. I was never into memorizing things or, I don't know, learning about all of these things that seemed cold and indifferent to me. Yeah. Uh, but I was doing it for the sake of doing it to get the bachelor's, and I did. Uh, and then I graduated, and I realized I would definitely fail graduate school even though I did prepare for my LSATs to go to grad school. I was like, let me put all of this law stuff off and do sales. And then I went into the most hardcore finance sales environment in Toronto, where I was basically cold calling CEOs in order to sell them a $50,000 meeting package to meet other potential investors. Wow. So that's like one of those uh, boiler room kind of things. And yes. It's just a bunch of, bunch of guys in there. And, Picking up the and phone mean women, and the meanest on. people you can find. <laughs> the meanest people. Yes. Yeah. And and just like fuck you, pay me, kind of kind of guys. We had a we gong. Can that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We definitely had one of those obnoxious sales gongs in in right. our floor. Yeah. When did you, know, you see Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. Have you seen that? Oh, did, yeah. Was that how it was? It was less high stakes than that. I mean, we yeah. were we were not the ones trading equities. Yeah. So there wasn't much skill involved, other than how well can you manipulate the ego of a trader right. and get them to buy this meeting package to meet other potential investors that will be at this three-day spa? And did you have training to do this? Or was there like a, they just said, okay, here's what you do? There was very little training. There was about a week of boot camp 
where it was essentially, here's the script. Here's the fake urgency story you give at the beginning saying that, hey, we normally never reach out to other investors, but we have this deposit left on the table. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. because this- We have all this money. Exactly. Yeah. And we could put it towards your booking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've noticed that you're in a fundraising cycle and you like these type of investors. You did a little bit of bullshit background research. Sometimes yeah. you'd even call the company pretending to be an investor interested in- funding them and then get all the dirt on them and yeah. then use it against them. Wow. Uh, that had to feel awful. Like, were you, were you like, okay, is this what it's like to be a grown up? Did you, did you go home every day feeling like shit or? Exactly. Yeah. Well, at first it was very exciting yeah. because 10% of $50,000 was $5,000, which yeah. is what our sales commission was. Oh, so if you sell one, you get five grand. Okay. So you're, essentially hearing and you have to get three hours of call time on the phone every day and if you don't have a decision maker on the phone you have to hang up it has to be someone who can who you can fax a contract and have them sign it and get it back to you within 24 hours if they didn't sign it within 24 hours you couldn't call them back wow because you're then your fake urgency story is blown right yeah because <laughs> it had to be today if you didn't buy today then we're at the money's off the table yes Oh, my God. So it was this whole charade. Um, but it must have taught you something. Like, it taught me a lot. Yeah. What did it teach you? So I think um, I think what it taught me is that the there's there's an art of persuasion. In advertising, a lot of – and I came into advertising thinking it's all about creative. It's all about having the best ideas. It's all about the best idea winning. Hmm. And that's – Almost never true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm finding that to be continually true day <laughs> after day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's about how well you can connect with someone and how well you can um, make them feel like their chances of success will be great if they do this thing. Right. Or feeding their ego or just finding out what motivates them. Is it, yeah. is it their pride or is it their fear? Right. And then you can kind of gauge what spectrum of, of, you know, decision-making they're on and then try and pursue that path of, of thinking and then use that to sell creative. Yeah. Um, I read a book recently called, uh, to sell is human and I'm not going to Dan something. Um, anyway, it's called to sell is human. And I read it cause you know, I, I come from that, you know, idealistic, uh, uh, creative side of things. And, and I know that I'm too far uh, idealistic. So I, I, I read it to teach myself, uh, that, you know, the art of sales, but it sounds like you got, you got a, a firsthand, uh, life lesson in that. How yeah. long did you do the, the boiler room kind of thing? About a year. And, wow. Uh, yeah. About a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Do you talk to anybody that you, that you worked with still? Uh, they're, they're around. I, there's one guy who loved me for, yeah. and he was the best salesman of all time. Right. Uh, he was, what did he do that was, that was better than everyone else? He was just a complete cold-blooded killer. No yeah. emotion, no remorse. Right. But only on the phone. Right. And then as soon as he got off the phone, the most lovable, nice person really? complimenting you. Comp and I don't know how much of it, it was right. him also continuing this game of like, if you're very complimentary and nice to people and you make them feel warm, they're more likely to listen to you and therefore buy from you. Yeah. As long as it doesn't come across as a clear facade. Right. And with him, you never knew. Yeah. Because he was always on. Wow. So you, you never saw him off so you, yeah. you just assumed that was just him yeah so therefore it was genuine yeah that's crazy so he still hits me up from uh every now and then as for 50 like, grand and yeah exactly yeah, just, <laughs> you just wire me some money <laughs> exactly by the way this podcast is just a big scam we're we're we, we're gonna get your 50 grand at the, I at hope, the end of this yeah. awesome but it, it, i only have 24 hours to make this. <laughs> <laughs> that's right you have to do it while you're here you don't get out of the room and please fax are. me the <laughs> Hey, Bill, you got to send money now. This is a kidnapping. Um, you are at Oberlin now. Um, How did you get from that that boiler room to New York City working on working at an ad agency? What's what's the what's the progression? How long did that take? How long ago was that? Eight years, nine years. OK. Yeah. Uh, well, bef between um, hardcore sales and Oberlin, there was. Depression and Miami <laughs> ad school. <laughs> Depression before Miami ad school. Yeah. 
Actually, yeah. Miami Ad School alleviated all of my depression. Really? Yes. How, That's probably how so? the best endorsement Miami Ad School. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But also, Ad House will alleviate some depression. Ad House is yeah. great at alleviating okay. depression. We just I have think. to say that. Or yes. Lauren will kill us both. Um, <laughs> Because you're an ad house teacher as well. I am. Uh, so you went to Miami Ad School. What? How did you find out about this thing called Miami Ad School? How did you find out about, about advertising? Like, were you just like, I can't do this anymore? And yeah, it was. A, it was literally there was a breaking point where I was like, I can't lie to what seemed like very good people. Like at first, I was under this impression, like, yeah, they're stockbrokers, right? Screw them. They screw people. I can screw them. Yeah. And after a while, that lying to myself wore off. Uh, I had enough money to be comfortable, so I yeah. wasn't. You know, it wasn't a fight or flight where I was like, screw you so I can live. Yeah. Uh, and once that, once I'd reached a point of comfort, then I'd realized that I was doing very, something very uneth unethical with my life. And uh -huh. also I was not creating anything. It was every month it was a new start over. You right. hit your sales quota this month. Yeah. Next month, same thing. Right. Same grind over and over again. Very yeah. monotonous. Um so then I, I literally didn't leave my house for a week and my parents and friends were calling me and my friends literally broke into my house and picked me up out of bed and like, dude, let's talk about it. What's wrong? And then after that wake up call, it seems so hokey, but I was just wandering the library and I found, I somehow found Ogilvy on advertising and I read that book in about three hours and I've wow. never read a book that fast in my life. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that was, I was like, okay, if I, if it was so easy to read this, yeah. then I must be interested in it. What made you pick it up? It was red and right. it was there. Yeah. That, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so you picked it up and you read it all the way through. What was it about it that made you go, oh, I could, I want to do this. It was just the fact that you inhaled it. It was just the fact that I inhaled it. And now yeah. that, now looking back, do I really even have a memory of what's in it? Right. Not much. Yeah. A lot uh, of rules. A lot of rules. Yeah. Uh, but also a lot of funny anecdotes of what it's like to be in advertising and this thrill of persuasion. So there was always, it took that element of this thrill of persuading someone in your point of view. Yeah. But then it's it's not someone, it's not this manufactured point of view that someone else has created, which is in sales. Yeah. Which I, I okay, yes. In advertising, there are manufactured points of view, but there's st still some element of you and some element of truth, even if it's not the whole truth, is selective truth. But there's still some element of truth, right? Um, and it felt like it was coming from me. It was something that I was building, and you were creating. Something. I was creating. Uh, I was doing it collaboratively, not on my own. Yeah. Um, those are the things that appealed to me on a on a subconscious level at that so, point. So what did you do to get into the business? You, you said, I got to go to ad school or something. You, you, you That was your first thought? Or were you like, did you dial up some ad agencies and say, hey, could I just come in and do be the next Ogilvy? Or? <laughs> yeah, that was exactly I was like, hey, Ogilvy, <laughs> looking yeah. for a replacement? I think he was probably dead at that point. Yeah. I'm not even sure when he died. Yeah. Um, but 97-ish. Okay. So, yeah, it was, I think it was before I even, because I think this was 2010 when I came to become it. Yeah. Yeah, around 2009 was yeah. when I began that Oh, journey. that was a good time, yeah. you know, because the economy was doing great. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and that, that was part of the impetus too, which was like, yeah. you know, yeah. that money was going away. So I was like, all yeah. right, double incentive. Yeah. Um, so then I, I literally just started looking up ad schools. That part's kind of boring. I was just like, Google, you know, like look up what people have done and right. see what their path has been like. Then I spoke to counselors and I was like, eh, Creative at the Circus. Well, yeah, at the, at the school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I was like, Creative Circus in Atlanta. What I know about Atlanta, nothing. Um, San Francisco seemed nice at the time. My parents lived in California. Oh, okay. Uh, they had actually moved to California like eight years ago. To San Francisco? To, to San Diego. Okay. And I was like, I can go live with them in San Diego for a bit, figure out my application and portfolio, and then apply to to Miami Ad School and go there. Yeah. And uh, I, I tried my butt off in that submission process. And What did you have to do? What's the submission process uh, it's, at the it was, time? It was pretty open-ended. It was like prove how creative you are and show like spec ads and like a, a, do a submission video. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and video. I, yeah, you had to do a little submission video and yeah. I used iMovie and- You do not have to do a submission video for uh, ad, ad House, I you believe. You do not. Yeah. If, yeah. If, much easier. Much easier. Yeah, no video. If your check clears, you are in. <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> Funny enough, that's essentially what Miami Ad School does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're a great yeah. school, and I yeah. learned a lot from the teachers there. But let's be honest, they'll accept anyone yeah. who's check clears. What was your video uh, about? <clears throat> what did you do your video on? Oh, my God. I actually looked back on it the other day. It's super cringy. Uh, <laughs> it's a video from the point of view of a person. It's an 80s video dating service, <laughs> except I'm trying to date the school. Oh, that's cute. That's cute-ish. It's a, I like it. Yeah. It's a good concept. A good concept. Yeah. All the right. execution was very, very bad. Well, now we have iPhones and, and you know, it's pretty, you had iPhones, but you didn't have video back then. You, you could really... It was it was, it was shot on iPhone, okay. edited on iMovie. Okay. Um, and... Uh, that's why I was excited about talking to you, because we have so many people my age that I've talked to that, like, we always end up having that conversation where we're like... Yeah, and then we had the velvet-backed things, and the, and I'm so tired of it. We're, we're just so boring. To, uh, so it's good to hear uh, about a more modern uh, approach. Yeah, maybe I might be the youngest person that's ever appeared on You show. could put that on your uh, your IMDb or there your LinkedIn. Uh, the, the youngest person ever on the show. Yeah. It's true. Um, so, so you made this movie. You go to Miami Ad School. What was your – had you done art before? Had you done – creative before I, I was really into archie comics growing up and okay. i used to draw my own archie comics yeah uh so i had some sense of that i'd also been into uh drama and and, and comedy in general and i'd done some improv in toronto and i'd done ucb stuff in, in new york later on uh -huh. um so i i knew i had some of that yeah but i knew i was a terrible artist i admired great artists so i i, I somehow knew that i wasn't a great art director I had a better chance of being a copywriter because okay. I'd been honing my language through sales uh -huh. and, you know, f flirting with women sure. and trying to persuade them to go out with me. Sure. Not working with, you know, working with what I have. Yeah. It's part of the, it's part of the process. Right. right. Yeah, it's part of the creative process. I think so. I think there's some similarities between dating and and retaining business. Yeah, sure. You're dating a you're dating also advertising. I always say I always try to tell clients like you have to act like you're the guy who just walked into the bar, nobody knows you. You can't just go up to girls and start asking them to buy your product. You can't right. just say like, "Hey, I'm great. You want to get married?" You right. have to yeah, you can't just you say, I make $500,000 a year, and you yes. just start spouting facts about your life. Here are the, uh, yeah, <laughs> here the, are the, the reasons to, to believe. Me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's a PowerPoint, and here's some, <laughs> some bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. You have to act a certain way. So, it's yeah, it is a, it is a great metaphor for, for advertising. Right. Um, so, you, you were never really uh, uh, artistic, but you, you, you were doing the writing. So were you writing other things? Were you writing like novels? And, and you said you did some sketch comedy and that was later though. Maybe. Yes. I, I, I did some fun sketch comedy stuff in Toronto, but it was very small there. Yeah. And there was some rigor to the program, but UCB for me was game changing. Um, so yes, I, I'd, I'd written some stuff before, but it was right nothing... Uh, that wasn't your passion to write. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't one of those writers who was compulsively journaling and writing their feelings and right. observations on life. Uh I found for me that was that was never I, I never had this need to purge. Right. Right. Um so you you go to Miami ad school, what was it like to to start doing those ads and start making things? Did you did you find it easy? Was it um you had to work at it? I found it easy, but I found that I was, I was delusional because everything I did for at least twenty-five to forty weeks was utter crap. And you didn't know it at the time, or you did? You I, found out when you went to the class. Yes, I found out while I was getting roasted in front of everyone. Right? How does that feel to to get like, like what what were your feelings going on? It was much were? easier than than getting cursed out by someone who's <laughs> trading. For thirty million dollars on Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, you'd had worse feelings. Much worse. Yeah, much. You've much You've been worse. roasted worse. Much worse. Yeah. Uh, so it was much easier to deal with, but That's I was I was still very stubborn. I was still fighting for bad ideas, um, which in a way is that ego. What is that that makes me definitely make it, makes us? How do you get rid of that? Like, what's the? Because I 
we've all, we all go through that where we're like, no, he just doesn't get it. Um, how do you get over that? What's the. So I, I think with, with creatives, there's a healthy balance of having an ego and, and being egoless at moments. Mm. So I don't think it's possible to be in this business and even agree to be on <clears throat> a podcast. Yeah. if You don't have an ego. That's right. I have something important to say. I, therefore I'm on here, yes. you know, um, uh, I mean, I have a podcast, so right. I must have the biggest ego going. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, or maybe we're just two people ha- trying to entertain people. And, right. And that, that comes from a less egoless place. Right. Um, your question was Sorry. Uh, how do you get rid of ego? You get rid of ego by um, realizing that your perspective is very limited and maybe your idea of importance is is not as important as a collective consensus. Awesome. And how do you, what does that look like? And like when you're not being, when you're being egoless, what does that, is, what does I, that look like? I think it might be a, a, what is it like when you're egoless? I think it's, so let's deconstruct ego. Ego is self-importance, this idea of like, I'm this collection of beliefs. I am this person. Um, and, and these are the things that I hold dear, mm-hmm. but those things are always changing, right? From yeah. time or not always changing, but they do change over time. Yeah. And sometimes with distance, you realize that man, was I wrong right. back then? Yeah. So then to get rid of your ego is to create distance from this person you perceive to be yourself and who you actually are. Yeah. Um, do you meditate? Yes. Uh, that helps me. Yes. To, because that is what that is is like seeing your your thoughts for what they are um and that they're completely random and and from somewhere else you they're not you right um uh yeah i think that helps when did you start meditating so my my mom is a, a yoga and meditation teacher oh wow so she's been doing that for 20 years now okay um she's recently got me into it um i was always resistant to it everybody is yeah cuz it is the ultimate truth you know it's the thing that none of us want to right yeah and my mom is off doing 10 20 day silent retreats where she's not speaking for 10 or 20 days at a time have you done one of those it scares me yeah (laughs) i I really want to but it's it really is scary yeah um so you're at you're 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 putting up these these ads on the wall and they're getting roasted how do you get better so it was an interesting process at Miami Ad School where there wasn't as much guidance as I think I'm providing to my students today. And that's not coming from like an ego place. I think that's coming from a trial and error place, like yeah. like with, like it is with parenting, right? Sure. I'm sure I'm not a dad, but I know that dads or moms tend to learn from the mistakes their parents made yeah. and get better. Some people. Some people Some people do. don't make mistakes <laughs> with their kids at all. At right, all. kids? Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Um, how do you get better? It's 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 a trial and error process, but it's also having the right mindset process. And what I what worked was seeing a really funny ad from one of my friends up on the wall. It was for Buck Knife, and uh, it was making fun of Swiss Army knives. And uh, it was basically saying like, if you want to start a war on arts arts and crafts pick this knife (laughs) and i was like that's so funny and true i can't remember what the tagline was but it was essentially like it was it was a moment of awakening where like i was like all i have to do is go to to make someone smile and have it be related to the insight of the product where like get a serious knife don't get this like yeah you're not trying to start a war on arts and crafts you're trying to like go to war in the hunting or whatever. Yeah, 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 I don't, yeah, I've right, never, right, right. I've no, I don't even know how to use a knife, right. so I can't pretend yeah. to know what Buck Knife is. You just stab, you yeah. just stab away. That's, I, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my ad for Buck Knife was terrible. What was your ad for Buck Knife? My ad for Buck Knife was, the tagline was, carry your confidence. And I had- Carry your confidence? Carry your confidence. And, yeah. and it was uh, a guy wearing uh, an, uh, like a, a jersey that wasn't, from the home team and he was surrounded by 
<laughs> the the opposing team. Yeah. And it was like. But you know he has a knife on him. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, you can cheer as loudly as you want. Because you, you can just stab somebody. Exactly. If they get in your face. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and my professor was like, oh, great. Now you're. Asking people to stab people. <laughs> like Giving them permission. Yeah, like, go get drunk at a ball game yeah. and just carry your buck knife yeah. and be as big of an asshole as you want to be. <laughs> and I remember getting pants so hard during yeah. that creative review. But you were like... No, you don't get it. Yeah, it's like it's no, but funny. wait, I have a second beat. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a white woman walking through a, a crappy oh, no. neighborhood. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and she can carry her buck knife. See, this is why we have ad schools, so that can happen in a safe place. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's so funny. Um, it, it's it's we we all have those terrible books. That book that Bill saw, he was right to not buy it. I somehow I I. I made uh, Mark uh, believe that I was uh, talented. <laughs> <laughs> That's the art but of persuasion. Bill was right. Bill was right. Um, the uh, so what they help you get get jobs? Did, did you did you getting out of Miami? Ask how long were you there? I was there for two years. So uh-huh. the first year is straight up. You know, you have five classes a week. Um, you bring your review. You bring your creative stuff to class. It's reviewed in class. There was Photoshop class and video editing class and concept class and digital class and blah blah blah. Yeah, it was great. You you meet people. You concept with people. You see someone coming up with great ideas. You're like, oh, I wish I had that. Yeah, that expedites the learning process. Yeah, in my opinion, so much faster than than any sort of you know school or curriculum can. Right. Just yeah. put a bunch of creatives in the same just room. Get out there and do it. Yes. Yeah, like the Beatles. Right. Yes. Like they just. They went to Hamburg and they just stayed in the same room and played so many shows. Right. And they, I'm sure they were crap. Right. I'm sure they were crap when they started. Definitely. Uh, and Like every just, stand-up ever, too. And, yeah, right. Uh, and doing it and, and, and sort of understanding that you're going to get better. There's a great Ira Glass. I'm sure you've heard it, the, the thing. Uh, if, if you haven't heard it, go, go look it up on Google. But there's a great thing on on getting better at what you do and and how of course you're bad but yes. knowing you're bad is actually good like I, seeing the badness it's funny that you say that cuz that was one of the first things they brought up at Miami Ad School because they're trying to incentivize you maybe not to quit right but the idea was basically like you got into this because you have great taste yeah and right and, that's and, his argument right and yeah. and 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 you want to quit because there's a big gap between your your current skill level and your taste yeah the whole pursuit of happiness lies in closing that gap, in yes. my opinion. Yeah. And you will never close it. You may completely. never. And and if you do, you're going to be bored. Yeah. If you do, then you move on to something else that you're not good at. I'm I'm actually going through this right now with... With, uh, with advertising uh, yours? Yeah. So with management right. of, of a company, right. right? It's like, I'm really good at making ads. I'm really good at an edit bay. I can make a TV spot out of no nothing. You give me like a MacGyver with that stuff. But and to the point where like, yeah, like I can't do that. So many I can't do that for every client every day. We have to have people doing that. Uh, And I don't want to do that anymore because it's boring. Um, And but the thing I'm not good at (laughs) is the thing I'm now working on. Right. So it's like like getting better at something else is always going to be the case. It's never going to be, oh, I'm successful now Um, because something's going to happen where you're going to have to be successful at something else. Yeah, I mean, successful equals comfortable and comfortable for too long equals stagnant and then dead and then you're depressed and dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, you you do two years there, you get better. Uh, This is in San Francisco. So it was actually a year in SF. And then they, at that time, Miami Ad School, you could do a a year straight of uh, internships. Yeah. So I did a year of internships all in New York. Oh, where? Uh, I started a draft, uh, three months of draft, three months at People, Ideas, and Culture. Okay. And three months at... um, at MRY. Okay. And I actually met a bunch of great creative directors there and great writers. Yeah. And I got so involved there, they actually asked me to stay on for an extra three months. So I did two quarters in a row at MRY, and that was my first job. 
Oh, that's cool. In advertising, not was it called Mr. Youth at the time, or was it MRY? They just started playing with like, are we Lost Boys International? Are we Mr. Youth? Are we MRY? Are we MRY? So that whole thing was happening at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, What was the difference between the schooling you had and actually doing the work? What 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 surprised you about life in an ad agency? Um, Good or bad. I think the good is that it's still mostly the same. Come up with a concept idea, have it be a big platform idea, make it have legs, make it work across all mediums. That was all great. Um, That prepared you immensely for the real thing. What you don't learn about is the little things like uh, how do you make a deck? How do you... uh, What is a deck? Yeah, what is a deck? You mean a deck on the back of my house? Right, exactly. Um, all those little things that you learn on the job, even like, how do you write for, and we didn't also get as much into like writing for social at Miami Asco at the time. And MRY is pretty much all social. social. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the good news is, Hey, what is uh, a tweet? It's essentially a print ad right. without the rest of the eight, like, right. And you do it in your spare time anyway. Uh, or, you know, a lot of people do. Right. Um, so you get it. Uh, but now you got to do it for this brand. Yeah. Uh, it's much easier to do those things than, you know, write an ad. Right. Yeah. And and then the other thing that doesn't prepare you um, or you're not as prepared for in the real world is how to deal with account people, how to deal with strategists, mm-hmm. how to deal with media, uh, how to make everyone feel like they're involved. Yeah. You're how to, not, how you're to be not a team the only player. one. Yeah. How to be a team player. Because my ad school, it's all about how do you stand out. Yeah. Uh, and I think any ad house at school is Any all school the, yeah. in general is yeah. like you want to be the best in that bunch. Yes. You, you want to be the number one student in the class. Yes. Um, and then you're in an ad agency where and I, if you act like that. Yeah. I took it on a bit toxically, I would say. Like I was – and this was my second career for me. I'd already failed at – Sales, uh, and I'd, I'd. It's good that you failed at sales. It's, by the way. I'm happy that it means I failed. You're a good person, <laughs> not a psychopath. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I, I'd already, you know, had echoes of that in my mind, and I was like, I need to make it here, and I have to be very serious about it. Right. And I was if like, you Get in my way, I will kill you. Yeah, and yeah. and then you have like, I had very. Uh, driven teachers that also drill that into me. Mm. So that only created more of, of that, that reinforced that mentality I came in with. Right. So and that's fear, right? That's yes. like, that's a fear of like, I don't want to fail at this. So I got to, I got to attack. Yes. And how, then, how did you, did you figure that out? What did you, or did you have to? Oh, it took a long time some, to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, because that's driven by insecurity, right? Right. Um, Another manifestation of ego. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, meditation, kids. Meditation. Do it. Yeah, it was it was not being enough, and when you don't feel like you're enough, you want to take other people down. Right. Uh, so then, therefore, I am more. Yeah, yeah, by, yeah. Look at by me. some weird math. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the story of of this guy. I, I won't name him, but uh, who used to go around. So after uh, the teams would show work at this agency, I will also not name. Uh, he once went around and he, he found an ad that was like the ad that these guys had done and sold to the creative director. And he just slid it under the door of them to just be like, it's been done, (laughs) which, uh, what a, what a dick. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, (laughs) because everything's been done. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know. It's never been done like this at this time by us. Yeah, I mean, how many how many times do we see the same movie? Yeah. No one holds... There's like five movies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> who holds Hollywood to the same standards? Like, but has Oh, I'm this... sure there are writers who walk around being like... That's fair. Here's the script <laughs> that I wrote. <laughs> and they rejected it. Um, no, it's funny that that thing is you, you do have to it's another thing you have to go through. I remember fighting with my my partners about showing stuff to Mark at, at Kirschenbaum back in the day. And now we're friends. But it's like being like, she's wrong and I'm right and she doesn't get it. And it's like, stop. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't it, be a jerk. There And there's but there's also a fine balance to that, too, because I've noticed there's times I've stood my ground with clients. Right. And 
recently just got back results that affirmed uh, that I should have stood my ground. Right. And and then the clients actually sent me an email saying, we're so glad that you- You were right. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. a way to do it. Yes. Hey, let's try this. It might not be right with humility. Yes. But like, I have a hunch that maybe this is a better way. Yes. Um, and, it, and it's good if it's done in the best interest of someone else and not in your own self-aggrandizing interest. Right. If you can find a way to spin that- To serve it. Yes. To serve someone instead of yourself. Yeah. I'm fighting th for this because I believe in your goal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're at Oberland. Yes. Uh, and I love uh, Oberland because it is uh, all about um, mission-based companies. Tell us, tell us, uh, you, you do the sell. I, I, you know, because I, I love that agency. I love, I love Bill and, and the team and Drew. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting switch step from going for for-profit advertising, which I'd done for uh, four and a half years or so mm -hmm. uh, after ad school. And uh, Bill hit me up saying, hey, I'm starting this thing called, or I have started this thing called Overland. There's five of us. Uh, I need a seniorish writer to come in and help take the agency to the next level. Are you interested? And at the time I had already started contemplating this field a little bit. I, at the time I was actually an in-house writer at Chipotle. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk to you about that, uh, about the difference between in-house and out-house, but well, let's talk about Overland first. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, so Chipotle was already kind of semi-purpose driven, you know, they're talking yeah. about non-GMOs and doing right by farmers and donating old equipment to, um, you know, various homeless kitchens or whatever. They're, right. they're, they're a business that had a heart and they were trying to do fast food right that didn't totally poison you. And that right. felt nice to me after working on X amount of brands that I won't name, but, you know, yeah. are, are maybe not, don't have the best interests of, of, of regular people in mind. Yeah. Um, so at the time it was just like three clients built and, and the exciting part of it was like, I get to concept with Bill who's been doing this forever, who's, yeah. you know, done Hello Moto and the Snapple lady and yeah. Target into Target. Yeah. And that was super exciting to just be kind of almost, not quite equals, but almost equals with someone who, yeah. who was just like jamming with you at Soho House, uh, <laughs> which was a whole new world for me. I'd he's never- so fancy. Yeah, he's very fancy, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't talk about him because no, he'll, he'll get back at us. <laughs> but he's very fancy. He's very fancy. Um, and uh, it was it was exciting to be a part of that, um, but at first it was very it was very different because we were working on very internal level communications of nonprofits, and now we're working on like you know I we're working on big uh, car campaigns yeah and there's and there's safety involved right. uh, in these big car campaigns yeah. Uh, I was really struggling not to say the brand's name because right. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I can. Yeah. I think we can. We have publicly done work with them. We're working with Uber right. um, to help uh, raise awareness for uh, sexual assault prevention. Mm -hmm. And Uber is doing a great job to turn around their image. And we're working with them to create a, a more positive and inclusive culture where people can stand up against sexual assault. Yeah, that's awesome. So that that step change from like only working on not only th there's this obviously this perception of Oberland is like oh you guys are purpose and mission driven which means you only work for nonprofits right but as we look in the purpose there's no money in nonprofits that's they, yeah the there's no there's no money <laughs> it's in their name nonprofit <laughs> um, no but nonprofits are great they're great and I love them as clients as well they're great clients they're doing work that needs to be done they're communication is in a is in a stage where it desperately needs very talented people from the regular advertising world to come in and and bring that energy we put into Samsung and Apple and all these other great brands uh and and help elevate nonprofits to a point where their messaging is is as clear and as entertaining as and as thoughtful as 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 you know anyone else and how long have you been there now just over three years. Wow. And you're up to, what, 30 people? Almost 30 people, yes. Yeah. yeah. And full disclosure, my girlfriend works there. Uh, I don't. She was like, I don't know that he knows that I'm your girlfriend. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Deborah Wolf. 
Oh, wow. Uh, is free, freelancing. Yes, there. she and, is, yeah. Uh, uh, as a planner. I was just working with her this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the Uber thing, I think. She was working she on that. She doesn't tell me any of the details. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, she, she likes working with you guys. She really likes the, the vibe there. She's great. Um, what is it? She was actually my student for like a day or two. I know that. Yes. <laughs> she took your class as well. Yeah. And she's like, I can't do it. Yeah. She, no, no, no. It was, <laughs> she was very busy. Yes. And then you actually, you had a, uh, I think you had some. I had a substitute come substitutes in. come in. And, and then, then she was yeah. disappointed with yeah. the subs. Uh, not, not that she was disappointed. <laughs> that and her, her schedule. Yeah. Um, but uh, so. Yeah, I'd love to hear about the the difference between being in-house at Chipotle and what's it like to be in-house at, a, at an agency. Uh, it's obviously a huge trend uh, that we're all having to deal with uh, when we're uh, outhouse, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- talk about that. What's the What was it like being in-house? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I'm seeing all of these conversations on Fishbowl right now where people are like, Oh, I'm in house and I'm thinking of going to an agency and all the agency people respond like, what are you crazy? You got this awesome cushy job. Why would you leave? You're making more money. You have security. You don't have to worry about being bought by someone and this whole Droga Accenture thing happening. Yeah. Chipotle was, uh, very relaxed, very, a little, um, corporate for, uh, much more corporate than any agency that I'd ever been at. But they also were very innovative for, uh, for, who they were. I mean, they'd, they'd managed to grow I mean, ridiculous amounts in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and Steve Ells, who's their founder, would be hanging around the office every now and then. Uh, uh, he was there. Yeah. So it was interesting to be able to like directly have access to the founder and, yeah. and talk to talk to them and, and, and have that inform the work. Yeah. Um, and also the level of, of, uh, you know, at agencies, you're oftentimes you're so stretched across so many accounts that you're that you're not able to dedicate as much effort and time into a project as it deserves. Mm. But when you're in house, you can really do that. Yeah. Um, and and that, there are so many different uh, projects you can do in house now. It's not just like well. We got all our signage done, so we're done. Right. Let's go home. Right. It's like every single day there are uh, tweets and Instagrams and responding to things. So it's there's a lot more to do. It's um, it's more holistic, right? And, yeah. And if you're if you're one of those people who likes to see a project all the way through and have more control. Mm. Um, because, you know, what grade is it ha- or what use is it having, you know, writing a great ad or a great out of home execution or a great TV spot when the landing page is controlled by the client or whatever yeah. X thing is controlled by the client yeah. and the experience, the experience is controlled the by customer the client experience. Yeah. And then, and then what do you, and then, you know, how effective and can you really be? Ironically, that is why Accenture bought. Droga, because they want to get Droga wanted to get into customer experience, and you know, uh, Accenture, I guess, is more of a customer experience company, and and the two sort of saw a symbiotic relationship there, uh, or that's what I'm, that's what I read anyway. I I, I haven't read anything. Yeah. All I've read is panic on yeah. Fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, "What do I do? Where do I send my book?" Right. Um, I but, think it'll be okay. Yeah. Um, I think everything will be okay. but <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. You can always go back to cold calling or right. whatever. Exactly. You know? um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I see a lot of people thinking that in-house creatives aren't as good, just inherently. It's harder to get good people. I'm sure it is harder to get good people, um, but I think it's changing. I think the good ones are – are good, like a Patagonia or a Chipotle. Like it, it is about those companies that are doing good things in the world. Right. And and we're, I'm seeing that more and more out of people that I interview for Oberland where they're more and more hesitant to join this big agency machine that yeah. is having them work on clients that may contradict with their conscience. Right. And there's so many of those. Yes. Uh, and we're finding out more and more about all of them every day. Um, so so you guys do things that are good for the world. What are some of your clients that you're working on? 
So, that you can talk about. Yes. Uh, so one of our clients is the Nature Conservancy, which is mm-hmm. one of the first clients mm-hmm. um, that I worked on. We also work on um, the uh, New York Institute of Technology, which is a university mm-hmm. uh, in Manhattan and worldwide. Mm-hmm. Work on um, blockchain.com, uh, which is a cryptocurrency uh, wallet. It's, yeah. it's the most secure non-custodial wallet, which uh-huh. to people who trade crypto might mean something yeah. for others that may mean nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. Maybe everybody can go on crypto now because of because of that. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the not to get into a whole sidetrack yeah. conversation about crypto, uh, <laughs> but there are huge security problems with it yeah. and blockchain is one of the companies that's trying to solve that. Right. Um so it's great we're working with like very kind of analog boots on the ground people like Nature Conservancy who yeah. are uh Nature. you know trying to barricade New York from the next hurricane using mangroves oh, off wow. Staten Island or buying land uh, and getting people to move homes and creating a what they call green infrastructure, which is essentially grass yeah. that allows the water to then go on the grass and go, uh, yeah. you know, get seeped into the ground as opposed to having concrete, which doesn't allow the water to seep in. And therefore, that's what creates floods. Yeah. Um, so those are what I would call more traditional kind of clients that we have. And they're very tech enabled too, not to, uh, you know, box Nature Conservancy in in, a, in that light. Mm-hmm. But then we also have, you know, the other end of the spectrum is like digital cryptocurrency. Yeah. And then and then we have Le- the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, uh, which is an amazing cancer fighting organization yeah. uh, that has invested over a billion dollars to, to fund cancer treatments and to help patients. Um, you know, just fantastic work that they do. And, and I get to interview their patients, create their PSAs, work on their messaging, work yeah. with my team to do all that. Yeah. So much uh, I find of of places like that is you don't have to do that much, like, you know, trickery to, to get people. A lot of times the reality of the situation and just documenting it and coming up with some platform that gets people to notice it is the thing, right? That's absolutely true. You don't have to trick them. But there's a there's a double-edged sword to that. And I think the the positive is yes, that... Oh, I keep banging the microphone. Okay. Sorry. Um, the, the positive of not having to do trickery is that there's already insights there. Mm. But the, the trap might be is, let's just say what it is, right? Which is what I think sometimes when nonprofits are, are left to their own devices may just present the problem and that's enough Mm. as opposed to like, like we talked about earlier, like you can't just come up to someone in a bar and say, Hey, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's kids dying of cancer right now. Give me some money. Yeah. You you still have to find some form of storytelling to, or a creative rapper to, to get that idea across. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like for example, uh, we, um, we did a campaign last year for NAMI and actually one of the writers that I, I work with, she came up with the concept and it was amazing. Um, normally, so NAMI is a, the National Alliance on Mental Illness and they wanted to do a stigma reducing campaign. Mm. And uh, the idea that she came up with was um, let's, you know, what if we considered stigma the illness as opposed to the actual mental illness, the illness? Because we may not be able to totally cure mental illness, but we can cure stigma 100%. Wow. And once you cure stigma, that allows people to seek help. Yeah. So stigma is the cure to mental illness in a way. Wow. And that's that an, to me was a, a groundbreaking a concept. Yeah, brilliant insight. Yeah. And it's like, you're the problem. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like you person watching this, yes. if you have a stigma against mental <clears throat> illness, you're actually hurting people. Right. And then the way to execute that was not to totally make people feel like they're a villain yeah was to we the way it was executed was there's this uh virus that's spreading throughout america if you've ever watched a movie yeah. uh seen a commercial been on the internet for one second yeah uh you've you've probably got it what is this virus it's stigma oh wow because we take on these yeah um you know mental health stigmas from the media and culture we consume. Yes. You know, oh, that person, that homeless person's crazy. 
stay away from them. They're dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we ingest these things and then, and then that person probably is, is prevented from seeking help because there's so much judgment put on them and right. they shell up. Yeah. But if we were to say, maybe I should not voice these opinions yeah. and say, Hey, is there a way we can help? Right. That's, that to me was a very, that to me was like one of the aha moments I had that, oh, we can do work that transforms the way people think about the whole nonprofit space. Right. That's awesome. I love that idea too. Great idea. Um, I'm, I'm conscious of time. Uh, where are we at now? Oh, yeah. So we should, we should probably wrap up. Sure. But um, I want to get where people can send you their books or look at your work or look at your tweets, whatever. <laughs> where, can they, where can they do that? Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm easy to reach at dhruv at thisisoberland.com. Uh, I also teach Ad House, and I love teaching Ad House. Oh, we didn't talk about that at yeah, all. Yeah, we didn't oh, talk about that. she's going to kill me. <laughs> uh, I can give a yeah. – I would love to plug Ad House. Sure, do it. Um, I think teaching has been one of the most um, fulfilling things that I've done. Um, it, it gives me great joy to see people get better at what they love doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm moving my career in that direction. Yeah. Uh, but I also still love coming up with ideas. But I think to your point – you you're at that point where you're like I'm I know I'm good at this. Yeah. Can I make other people good at this and make more of not more of me but like more other people that can be good at this yeah. and then infuse their personality into the work. Yeah. Um I'm obviously nowhere near where you are in terms of like have having built a I don't know. a massive Maybe. company that and you've been doing this much longer than I have, but I I'm starting to realize that that is the path towards happiness. And an ad house uh gives people great value, especially those who are, um, are teachers or lawyers or in any other profession. And they're like, I think I'm funny or interesting or right. have, have this inkling that I could work in advertising. We can work with people who have an inkling and have led creative lives or interesting lives, not yeah. creative lives. Yeah. That's awesome. We, we've never had a, a actual, uh, we should put that on the, on the end of the pot. <laughs> that should be the that should be the sale for Ad House. Uh, I do like it too. I've I've taught it before. Um, these days, I don't I don't have the time really, but but uh, I wish I did. Uh, it is a great it is a great organization. Uh, and then the the website they should go to is Oberland. This is Oberland.com. Right. This is Oberland. Because Oberland, the stupid region in Germany. Yeah. That you go there, you're just going to get a bunch of German tourists. Exactly. Saying, yeah, come to Oberland. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is Oberland.com and they should uh, go there, check out all your work and uh, and tell Bill uh, and maybe Bill will, will will once again look at their book yeah. and pass on them. And maybe I won't. And then maybe you won't. Yeah. Maybe maybe Drew won't. And 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 but if he does, if Drew does there is a future for you in podcasting. I'm telling you, uh, it's uh, as as uh, Conan O'Brien says, hundreds of dollars in this uh, in this in this thing. Yeah. But uh, thanks for coming on. Anything else that I didn't ask that I didn't say that uh, I know Bill will kill me if I don't clarify one other thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, let's do it. Um, so I, I think to the whole what. The reason why I've been at Oberland three years yeah. and, and I see myself being there indefinitely. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is I think the whole world, even por- profit driven companies are moving towards purpose driven work. Yeah. Because people are realizing uh, that that brands cannot exist only to serve their bottom lines because it'll always be at the expense of people. Yeah. And and therefore brands now have to become more conscious about not only what they're making and what they're creating but also the kind of communication they're putting out there yeah. and and we're seeing this with Nike and we're seeing this with the list goes on yeah with every company who's moving more into this space because that's what people want yeah um you have to have a mission behind you, behind your brand if you don't and it can't be a self-serving mission. Right. It can't be like your boiler room mission. You know, oh. they didn't have their mission. They had a mission. The mission was get as much money as fast as possible. Yes. Uh, and take it and 
that's it. And Zero just like just like things. me, I got tired of it, and I think other younger people that are coming up behind me are getting tired of it even faster than I did. Yeah, and that's that's the the worst of the offenders. But every company has a little bit of that in there. If if all you're doing is making money, uh, and that's why you're in the business, then you're doing something wrong. And right. I, I think that's also personal. Like if 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 you're just doing this for the money. Why are you doing it? You know? Yeah. Uh, Past a certain level of comfort, more money in your bank account doesn't bring more happiness. Yep. That's true. More money, more problems is another way to say it, which is, uh, I believe, uh, Biggie Smalls. Yes. Yeah. He, he, was, a, he was a sage. <laughs> he also quit selling stocks on the phone. Oh, that's right. He was in a boiler coke. room as well. <laughs> <laughs> you quit selling drugs, I think. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, essentially what I was selling was Basically the same. Yeah. 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 I I promise this is going to make you feel better and you're going to be so much better, but no, you're just right. taking them right. Um, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was really nice to meet you too. It was great meeting you. You made the A list. Welcome to the A list. You made the A list. Now you're one of us. So that was my talk with Dhruv. What a nice guy. What an interesting background. And I really think he's he's uh, wise beyond his years. He gives me hope in the future of our industry. I think he had a, a good time and, and had a lot of good things to say. So um, I hope you enjoyed. The A-List Podcast is an inspiring action from DeMassimo Goldstein, sponsored in part by Ad House Advertising School. It's recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Our producer is Casey Valigursky. Our research was done by James Neiman. Our engineer is Joe Webster. And our show was edited by Matt Stillo. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can find me on LinkedIn, or you can send me an email at tom at digobrands.com. Special thanks to Mark DeMassimo for believing in this inspiring action. And thanks to everyone listening around the world.